Welcome to As the Garden Grows, a podcast about a small cannabis company and our journey in growing wellness. Okay, hello everyone. I'm here with Moj and Ryan. Welcome guys. Nice to see you back, Ryan. Yay, I'm so happy to be back. So happy to have you back. We're here to talk about federal legalization. Finally, we've been, um, I know we said that this episode was going to drop a while back. So we've been working on it, doing our little research. And actually the timing is perfect because uh, Chuck Schumer just had a meeting um, just a few days ago with some um, cannabis industry uh, stakeholders. And it was, I think, a really effective meeting. Um, We were just kind of chatting about it. But basically, Chuck Schumer has declared that he wants to put federal legalization up for legislation this year, basically. In 2021, it seems like they're definitely going to push something forward um, for federal legalization. And it seems like this meeting that the cannabis stakeholders had with Chuck Schumer, and I want to say a couple other members of the Senate. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Cory Booker was there too. It was, yeah, Cory Booker um, and a couple other senators that they had on, you know, someday, sometime last week. Was it last Friday even? It was Friday, two days ago. Yeah, Friday. So that meeting that they had, it seems like they had a lot of conversations about, specifically about bringing or making sure that social equity was a really big part of the legislation that comes forward with federal legalization. And I think today we just wanted to chat a little bit about kind of, you know, what um, our understanding of federal legalization is, kind of what we know about what's coming up, a little bit about like the pros and the cons that we hear about federal legalization. And then um, as we move throughout the conversation, eventually we'll talk about how federal legalization will impact the garden. So um, did either one of you want to take it away? Yeah, um, I think you brought up a really good point about the meeting that Chuck Schumer had. And I think it's important that we um, recognize the two other senators that were that are deeply involved in this and have been involved since last year on this uh, legislation. And one of those is Cory Booker from New Jersey. And then the other one is the Senator from Oregon, which is really interesting because Oregon recently decriminalized a lot of their hard drugs. So, um, you know, like the street drugs that people were getting caught up in and it's just, you know, unnecessary arrests that are happening. So I thought that the last election was such a bold move for the state to do that. So I'm really excited to have, you know, that senator involved in these conversations because we have a progressive state on, you know, that's doing this and we can definitely get their, you know, opinions on how to make this federally legal. Yeah. That's a good point. And I think just to explain to anybody listening who doesn't quite understand what's happening here is that cannabis is still uh, considered, I think it's still a class one drug. I know that there was some um, legislation to move it to a class three, but I think it's still labeled as a class one um, substance in the United States of America by the federal government. And so even though it has been, you know, decriminalized, you know, legalized in some states, recreational legalized in some states, it is not a federally legal substance. So there's still a lot of risk around um, cannabis, whether you're using it, you know, crossing state lines, uh, if you're a cannabis investor, money, banking, there's a lot of risks because it's not a federally legal substance. So that's kind of um, what we're discussing when we're saying federal legalization here today, because I know some people might get confused, like, what do you mean federal legalization isn't illegal? Aren't I going to a store and buying it? (laughs) Yes. And just to be clear, we're all federal criminals. 
And so the reason that this is so exciting is because uh, we won't be in the future. And also as consumers and as business people in the industry, just to further Kishana's point, a few years ago, you could never be a part of any bank or credit union if you were in a cannabis company. Up until very recently, it was even possible to be have a bank. And for And just to extend that, you can't really become like an official business until you have a bank account and it's hard to get a mailing address and it's like you know what i mean everything becomes incredibly hard when you're doing something that subjective because people can be like oh well in this state it's say recreationally legal so it's good to go and then other people can say well simply this is federally illegal and uh, you know what i mean it, it, it's an excuse for anyone to not work with you at any time like it's kind of like a, a backdoor refusal for anything so to the idea of not being right not having that stop at every single, you know, crossroad is just a great business opportunity. And and as consumers too. As consumers, especially, I would say, especially as consumers of color, because I think that the federal legalization piece makes some people really vulnerable. I mean, there are still people today going to jail for marijuana possession, use, you know, selling it, all of that. And so that's a huge issue when there are people making millions off cannabis sales in this country, and then there are people going to jail for it. Honestly, even that fact that I brought up the other business thing first is fucked up. You know what I mean? Like we should, that's like the good part is what you said. And now I feel like that's, that's fucked up. We're going to leave it in. I mean, there's a lot of good. No, but but that's a big part of the bias. Like for me, like I don't even consider that as a white man. Like I, like I can consciously forget that there are people that like can't, that are scared to, you know what I mean? Like, and that's the part that we like as white people, I'll have to remember, like, this is a quote unquote, a great business opportunity, but it's also like literally saving people's lives and like changing people's lives. And people don't have to sit in jail for 40 years for having a dime bag on them anymore. Like, that's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we recently just had the case of, you know, Michael Thompson really come into light. Mind you, the last prisoner project had been working on his case for a few years, but he recently got released after like a 25-year sentence. And it was one of the, you know, it's a good moment that he did get released finally, but it was really sad to kind of hear his perspective on how like he was in jail for possession for 25 years. And in the time that he was there, he saw, um, you know, like he saw new people come in, serve their sentence, leave, go commit another crime, come back and serve a whole another sentence and he was still sitting there. So it's just like, it's really sad to see people are still sitting in jail for something that is legal in so many states. So I think it's really important that the federal legalization does have like that uh, criminal justice piece in it where people who are currently serving time do get released because we don't want just legalization so we can sell it and we can make money off of it. If that part of it doesn't exist in there, it, it doesn't even feel good. Well, I think that's actually something that I really do kind of appreciate about the legislation that they're trying to pass, the MORE Act, because, um, yes, it's called Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment, but an Expungement Act. And I think that's the key piece, is that it's not even just that people need to be released from prison, but their records need to be expunged. And, you know, there has to be some form of reparations, I feel like for some of these people, at least creating opportunities for them within the cannabis industry or guaranteeing opportunities for them within the cannabis industry should be something that, you know, is a part of any legislation, any work going forward in federal legalization, which actually brings me to one of, you know, my biggest pros of federal legalization, which is that there will be criminal justice reform around cannabis um, incarceration. 
Agreed. I think it's really important, too, that they were really specific in this meeting and in specific in talking about the legislation to say that the priority is to, at minimum, deschedule cannabis and to regulate with justice and an equity-focused approach. So I think it's just really yeah. important that that's at the forefront. That's the number one thing that they're focused on. You know what I mean? I and- think that should be the number one focus of the federal government with cannabis federal cannabis legalization. I think number one should just be an apology to black people in just various forms. I think it should be written, emailed. I think it should be monetary. I can't even imagine the ways that they should start to approach it, but you're right at the very, very least. Oh definitely we are right. <laughs> there will be no money reparations paid. <laughs> the government still has not paid reparations for slavery. They're not about to do anything for this. Well we know that. Even I feel like is not enough because even a lot of times with expungement, you still have to like if you are asked specific questions, like if you were ever arrested, you still have to answer that with a yes. So I think expungement is at its basic, basic what they can do, but they really need to like clean these people's records because I have like I've known someone who had their record expunged, but still like had to deal with so many things that came with that because the way that the questions get asked on employment applications, housing applications. It's not like um, if you were found guilty, is if you were ever arrested, did you ever serve time? So expungement does a little something, but employers and all these places have found ways around it. So I feel like even that does not do enough. And the MORE Act actually passed the House last year. Um, So the House did pass it. It's just that Senate, you know, there was no way it was going to make it to the Senate floor having like a Republican majority. But I think even that legislation still needs to be worked on more. I don't think it's even perfect as is, because even if that passes, it does a little bit like, for example, changing it from schedule one substance to a schedule three substance. Why is it still even on there? Because, I mean, for it to last so long as a Schedule 1, which is basically has no, you know, benefit, um, like no medical benefit or anything like that, even when states have legalized it, it has stayed as a Schedule 1 drug. Like, just to bring it to Schedule 3, it's like, man, we're moving really slow. Like, we just need to take it off the list. You know what I mean? But in the the bill they're talking about, is that what it's going to be? That it's going to be a schedule three? I thought it was going to be descheduled. I thought it was going to move down to schedule. Uh, like, that's what I have heard was moving it down to a schedule three and not completely shifting it. But I haven't kept up with maybe the it's changes the ver- that. I was going to say, maybe it's the version that passed originally. Because I think in that meeting, he, um, Chuck Schumer said, like, answered a question about that. about And that's where he was saying that quote that I said earlier, like, at minimum, they're going to deschedule cannabis, which I think is, like, hopeful. Yeah. You know, I think, too, it's like they realize it's possible now. You know, like, I think they yeah. they wrote that legislation not thinking we would have the majority. So I think now they're like, oh, yeah, fuck it. Let's blow it up. Exactly. Yeah. 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 This is yeah. the time for them to be bold. This is the time yes. to take this bold action when we have all of this control. Like, we need to push all of these things through and not, like, you know, water it down. And just spend you know, our time trying to, like, meet in the middle. I'm so tired of trying to meet in the middle with Nazis. Can't we be like, we fucking won. We're taking the next four years as our fucking victory lap and doing what we want we're getting health care and no one has genders and we're all smoking weed like that's what we're doing now that's what we should be doing <laughs> <laughs> i agree <laughs> i agree yeah. what are some other like pros and what are some other pros some other cons what let's talk as consumers like what do you think people okay. are thinking i do want to say one more pro from a business perspective is the 280e tax so i'm not sure if you guys are familiar with this 
But um, basically, every cannabis business has to pay when we go to pay our taxes at the end of the year. When, when we pay, we file with the federal government. We have to file this 280e tax form, which essentially confirms it, they call it the drug dealer tax, or like that's kind of like the street name for it. But it basically says that we've been selling a Schedule One drug, and we have to pay extra taxes for that. That tax is a is a high tax, and it it really affects um, you know the bottom line of the business, and so with federal legalization, that would end this tax requirement, which would be obviously really beneficial for businesses. However, in the um, legislation, they would replace it with a federal excise tax, which they're saying would be like five to eight percent. So, you know, that's still a really high number um, tax wise. It's lower than the 280E tax, but it's still a high number. So I do think that, um, you know, it's definitely a pro on a business from a business perspective. Yeah, I think that's pro from a kind of a consumer cons- uh, perspective, too, because it's like a lot more tax dollars for your places that you're living. It, like that was like when Colorado passed it, I was living there and every single article in the newspaper was about how so much tax dollars are coming in from recreational cannabis. It's so many apartment buildings came up. All the roads are perfect. Like it really does benefit the community when there's so much more tax dollars floating around. And as far as like people who are concerned that it's going to be a detriment to their community, like actually no, having that much more wealth in your community is always going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I feel like the economy is always like, you know, how it affects the economy is one of the most like talked about topics because there I was reading this one article where it was trying to look at it from both sides or what, you know, people who think it's a con say. And, um, you know, obviously the people who are pro marijuana legalization, you know, they're point is that it boosts the economy it's going to bring so much revenue in but at the same time there are people who are using um this that argument to say that well you know there are costs to society that it doesn't like the cost that it has to society it doesn't outweigh it let me say that by saying this is not my view but i just wanted to kind of bring in another view and the point that they were trying to make is that um, when even the alcohol and tobacco being legal and like the money that comes in taxes from those um, sources, they still don't um, outweigh the uh, the cost that it um, that it comes to the state for like increased medical care, addiction treatment, uh, victims of like yeah. you know driving accidents. So that's the point that they bring up. But I do feel like alcohol and tobacco cannot really be compared. That's where I think their argument falls is that it's not the same thing. (laughs) And even in those categories you said, like, I don't know anyone that's had to go to rehab for cannabis. I don't know anyone that's gotten a DUI for cannabis. And I don't know anyone that's gotten in a drunk driving accident for cannabis. Even if you look on statistics, like on any website, like, I think two people in the last like 15 years have gotten into a car accident and it's been attributed to cannabis use compared to like car, vehicle, homicide, drunk driving being one of the- And I'd love to even you know, know the specific, I next guess. week we're going to dive into the specifics of those two cases because I'll bet you they slow drove from the right lane over into like a fire hydrant. You know what I mean? Like it was probably also like not like a hit and run. <laughs> It's also just the number one thing we have to combat is stigma. And that's also the hardest to get over. Do you know what I mean? Like there's people, the 
And people don't know why they feel the way they feel. It's because they've been manipulated by the system. It's because they think it's something bad. It's because they think it leads to other things because they don't attribute it to wellness because they don't know the ways you can use it positively. There's just so much that you have to overcome that I think part of that comes with just being more visible and creating an industry that people see and are a part of. That's why I'm excited with our approach to content being very visible and straightforward to showing people what's really going on behind the scenes of this kind of stuff. I feel like we don't really ever see that. I think people have felt like you're stuck in the shadows being a cannabis consumer or a business person even because it's like, quote unquote, like shameful. And that's the part that has to change. And I know that we've all done that with people in our own lives, change how they think about cannabis and users of cannabis. So that just has to happen on such a big scale. And I think once that happens, then a lot of the other like more mechanical things are going to be a lot easier because people in general will have a better opinion. I definitely agree with that. Absolutely. I think that, you know, that's, that's another benefit. That's another pro is that with federal legalization, you know, cannabis can start to cross state lines. And so brands can engage in different ways with different people and they can kind of reach different people. So if you live in an area that doesn't have as much diversity in the cannabis industry, you can then start to engage with other cannabis businesses that are, you know, maybe outside of your state that better suit your needs with the plant, which I think will be a great benefit. Cause I know for us, again, from a business perspective, like that's a huge benefit for us to be able to reach people and not have to, you know, necessarily go to their state physically, which is obviously how we think of expansion right now is like going to that state. If we want to get into a market, we have to go and physically compete in that market. Um, So this will open up the market, which will be, you know, definitely a huge benefit on the con side. It will also drive the price down. That's a huge con that I think a lot of entrepreneurs in the industry are concerned about. You know, a lot of people look at Canada Canada was trying to get it to like a dollar a gram or $10 an ounce or something like that. And, you know, some of the projections that they're saying is that, you know, it's going to go, it's going to make the price of cannabis go down to $5 an ounce, which it won't, that won't happen. Um, You know, for anybody who even got excited for a second, that won't happen. But also entrepreneurs who get nervous, that would never happen. Like nobody would let the industry get there. But that's definitely an issue that comes up a lot when people, when people talk about federal legalization. That's a really good point, Keish. I actually kind of wanted to bring this up to you. One of the things that I was reading about was how people in the industry were worried about like interstate commerce. So states who've already had it legal for, you know, a few years now kind of have like a leg up on this, right? So when federal legalization happens, like they're kind of ready to like, you know, distribute to other states, trying to reach, you know, people in other states, bordering states. How do you feel about that? Do you think that those that already existing businesses should be able to kind of like get into the market of other states? Or do you think we should allow these states that now have it legal kind of like a ramp up time so that they can actually, you know, they can actually get started and then, you know, try to bring that revenue for their state and, you know, trying to keep some type of like equity there? I mean, I'm not someone who likes to like mess with the free market too much like that. Like I I think that we create we're creating an industry, we're creating a market and we need to essentially allow it to play out in it, you know, within itself. I don't necessarily think the government should step in and say like, "Oh no, we're not going to do any interstate sales until these people got their shit together or whatever." Like I don't think that necessarily makes sense. I think 
the perspective that I could see that making sense in is like, oh, well, we don't want like the med men of the world to just be the new Walmart of weed and everyone's just going online to med men and just ordering all their weed. So no other business has a chance in the market. I think that's what, you know, is something that maybe there's a way to combat that, you know, but I don't think that we should necessarily say like, oh, we got to wait until, you know, um, you know, Louisiana has their recreational, all their licensing up and they have X amount of businesses or, you know, like, I don't necessarily think that's the way to go about it, but I do think that there should be a way to preserve small businesses in the new market. Like this is the push that I think a lot of cannabis entrepreneurs are trying to make in general is like pushing people towards small businesses in cannabis. And like, this is kind of where I feel like our role steps in. It's like, we have to be here to educate people about why they should want to buy their products from small businesses, why they should want to engage with small businesses, why they should care about the story and care about where their products are coming from and know and understand, you know, the processes that companies are using and the ingredients and things like that. It's up to us, I think, to continue to, to like educate and share that information and be like thought leaders in that way. Because I don't think we should expect the government to protect small businesses in this industry, especially because once federal legalization comes on board, there has to be a financial machine behind it. That's the only way that, you know, Republicans are going to get on board with this. That's the only way that the government is going to protect the industry, period, at all, is if there's some revenue coming in from it. So they're going to want to figure out how to make money off of it fairly quickly. Yeah, that was kind of my main point was trying to protect these small businesses that will come out of these states, you know, people who are going to try to grow their own and try to sell it. And like, how do we allow them to kind of grow and flourish and not allow companies like MedMen to step in and already put 10 dispensaries around where people, you know, are now kind well, of that's like the risk. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the risk. And I think too, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a catch 22 because yeah. I know for Massachusetts, like this industry is already so fucking regulated. The last thing we need is the federal government to come in and regulate more things and make this even more of, you know, red tape and hoops that we have to jump through just to get our little business going. Like if anything, federal legalization should make it easier and it should deregulate some of the crazy shit that we've been dealing with. That's how I feel. You know, I know it won't exactly translate that way, but that's how I feel. I feel if anything, federal legalization should provide the states with enough of a safety net that they can start taking some of these things away that they have imposed upon people so that there really can be like trade in this market. And it can be more fair for smaller businesses, because I think that, you know, just like we go to like those small little Etsy shops to get our oils and our candles and things like that. It's like people will start doing that with cannabis, but we have to have platforms to actually sell our products and trade our products in the market like that. And so, you know, we have, that's why I think our work right now is so important and that we're kind of setting an example for other small businesses to come in and like, Yo, build your brand, make it a strong brand, just like you were doing anything else. You can't just come into the cannabis industry and rely on the fact that weed makes money. You have to come into the cannabis industry with a vision and a meaning and an intention behind it. Don't just come in to sell weed and make a billion dollars because that's not going to translate. And and especially in this bigger market, it's not going to translate. Also, the the industry hasn't even been established. So that's the part that happens. Like once federal, once it becomes federally legal, then an industry can actually be formed. And then we'll have the normal sliding scale of this is the Walmart of weed. And this is the cute mom and pop shop of weed. And the people who want those will find it. Do you know what I mean? Like, but the problem is that that opportunity is not there right now, because the only thing that can be made is the closest to the Walmart of weed because you need so much money because of all the regulations. If we can get it to a place where it's federally legal and 
a normal market can be created, which A, isn't shrouded in complete shame and like, is this legal question mark? But B, it, we can get all types of cannabis businesses because some people right. are just like we'll going to want to run in quick. Yeah. It's, and it's yeah. like servicing we'll a different kind of consumer. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. that the consumer will demand it. We'll see those smaller right. businesses pop up. We'll see and space if you think for about them to it, If you think about it like food or like skincare, like it's going to go through the natural thing of being like, oh, now we want it organic and now we want it clean and now we want it the best version possible and we want luxury. Like the the kind of like base level has been established. And then I think federal legalization is kind of, kind of the key to unlocking the levels. And we're going to be obviously yeah. at the more luxurious level. I think you made a really good point too, Ryan, in saying that part of the issue and the reason why we have access really to not such great product in the market right now is because it costs so much money to get in. So what happens is like people are coming in and they're spending 10, 12, 15 million dollars to start a business. So they're just thinking, how can I recoup this money? How can I recoup this money? And the truth is you can make 25 million in your first quarter if you're in the right market, in the right space at the right time, you can do that. But how are you going to do that? You know what I mean? Like not an approach like the garden where it's like small, you know, small batch baked goods. It's like, that would be really hard to make 25 million in one quarter and do small production on. It's like, you can't really do that. So they have to go into these mass production or they have to buy a lot of weed in the market. And you know what I mean? Like just try to sell weed and sell it back and recoup their money to pay back their investors and all the loans they took out and all of that. And it's like, you know, I was thinking about that the other day, like we're really blessed because we don't have barely anybody breathing down our necks waiting for a check back from us. Like we're really, really lucky to be able to like just get into this space and do it the way that we really want to do it and build it out the way that we want to do it. And we also can really trust that we're going to be able to pay our people back right away because we're not taking that much money to begin with. So it's like, we're not going to have any issues. But some of these people have to spend $10 million their first year just to get started. So another thing that, you know, people talk about with federal legalization is that how it will affect teen use. So, you know, pro um, marijuana legalization, federal legalization, people say that, oh, it will actually drop down teen use. And then the other side is obviously, you know, arguing the opposite, that with its availability, it will actually up the teen use. I just kind of wanted to see... um, what are your thoughts? I'd like to direct us to a bit of science, a little social science that we conducted a few years ago called Teen Mom. Now, everyone thought that when Teen Mom came out, teen pregnancies would be on the rise because people would what want to be MTV reality stars and make $4,000 an episode. Regardless, they that's what all the moms said. Cut to like 10 years later, they did an actual study and teen pregnancy rates actually dropped like right after Teen Mom started airing because people are like, that's fucking horrible. Why would I want to do that? But right, that's not comparable because teen <laughs> pregnancy is much You're horrible. Right. Right. You get your first awesome. high. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just look at it. Be a blessing. <laughs> and that's actually the tricky comparison to alcohol too, because it's like, well, there are. Re- <laughs> this is horrible. This is just a not a PSA for being responsible, but like there are no downsides. So it's not like you can be like, well, don't drink too much kids because you're going to get hung over. It's like, well, you're going to eat too many munchies. Like, watch out. <laughs> like, okay. Right. Or like you can die from drinking too much. I know this personally. Oh. I have woken up in a hospital bed. I didn't know that you could die from drinking until I woke up in that hospital bed. But like, I've never woken up in the it hospital. It sound like you died. 
It makes it sound like you wrote one of those books, like one of those blonde children, and you saw God and journaled about it. And they like brought me back to life, and they were like, "Do you know what you did last night?" (laughs) You're like, "I saw Jesus." Yeah, actually. (laughs) Up until I blacked out. Yeah. I will say that my perspective on this is, you know, coming from someone that did not use it in my teen years, I feel like you are more likely to use it if it's like a taboo thing, if it's not as readily available or only like, you know, there's this group of cool kids who have it. So you're going to kind of hang out with them and do what they're doing and get into all this other shit just because like you want to try weed. I feel like that makes a teenager want to do it more rather than like, I feel like something like cigarettes. Like I no teenager I knew was really into cigarettes. You know what I mean? And they were kind of like readily available, like on, you know what I mean? Like you could easily get it, but there wasn't like this huge want. So I think when you have something that's like, it's illegal and it's kind of, you know, like you're more kind of likely to do it. How about along those lines, our best customers are like middle-aged white women. So do you think that teenagers are going to want to do what their mom's doing? Like if anything, it's going to be like, you know, my mom smokes joints. I don't want any of that. Like, <laughs> that's exactly. what my mom and her friends do that. before they go to the mall pass I'm, I'm good on that. <laughs> I actually I grew up in a house where like weed was like really readily available it wasn't like hidden at all and it was you know you could have it if you wanted it it was really no- nothing and honestly as I said before like my most of my teenage years I really didn't smoke I didn't really start smoking super regularly until I got to college and you know it just wasn't that exciting for me at all because I grew up around it so much. So I think that like anything, you know, when you take a taboo away from something, it makes it less interesting to people. And so people won't. And the other thing I think too, is that like, you know, there's research out there that shows and studies that have shown that kids who have used cannabis for different reasons, autism, chronic pain, other issues, they have had successful um, rehab through cannabis use. I've never read a study that says giving kids alcohol has helped them. I've never, you know, read a study that's like, you know, not to trash teen moms, but like, how teen teenage motherhood has well, to <laughs> like created fair, more opportunities. To be fair, Kijana, your body is probably <laughs> most ready to reproduce right around 13 to 16. So maybe is that, that real? Yeah, that's when your body thinks it's supposed to have a baby. That's when you're most fertile. That's why teen mom happens so much. Yeah, that's true. I guess we did used to have babies a lot younger. But yeah, I mean, regardless, the fact of the matter is like cannabis is a medicine, at least in my perspective. And so the fact that there are young people who are being prescribed cannabis to help with certain ailments and illnesses that they have, I think that just in and of itself goes to show like, look, they're, these people are just fucking, you know, really reaching here for something to have an opposition against cannabis legalization because it's just not that big of a deal. And I think we know that, like inherently know that. Also, like, are those the same moms giving their kids Ritalin and um, Lexapro? And you know what I mean? Like, are you also giving your kids like a bunch of pills? Because then I don't really want to hear how you want to keep like marijuana off the streets. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, show me some evidence of your your um, Xanax shrinking tumors, because I can show you that for THC. You know what I mean? Like, what are you <laughs> <laughs> and not to shame anyone for taking pills because pills are great, especially if you put them in a smoothie, double the dose. But I'm saying it's not comparable. It's right. totally not comparable. 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I do think that, you know, we should have some restrictions, um, you know, for kids not using at least up until like the regular regulations that we have 18. Is the cigarette regulation actually 21. 18 or 21 now? I forget. 21. It's 21 now. Yeah. It yeah. used to be 18 when I was 16. I remember that. It was 18 because they changed it to 21, though, because also like tobacco use. That's another one. Like no parent has ever given their kid tobacco to help them heal something like that is in nicotine, especially it's like that's it's an extremely addictive substance that is known to cause lung cancers and all types of other bodily ailments. So, again, it's like there's science proving that. And there's also science proving that cannabis is a medicine. And that's all we're Definitely. saying. We're signing off every episode saying, please don't forget cannabis is a medicine. Do not come to us with liquor. And that's it. Be well. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that is my favorite line to use when I'm done with someone or done talking to someone. It's like, well, period. (laughs) That's a text too. That's not even on the phone. It's a text. I want you to read it how I sent it. (laughs) That is so hard. (laughs) That is, I couldn't, I would never come back. I would be in a wheelchair if you sent me that. (laughs) Short and sweet. It's like, you know what I mean. (laughs) But I do hope you're well and that's it. Nothing too well, not too bad, just well. <laughs> I don't want you doing better than me. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but I do want you to do well. <laughs> Any other pros and cons that anybody has? Yes. So another one, we kind of touched on this, um, and I'm not sure if you guys want to talk about it more, is giving folks DUI for driving high. I personally highly disagree with this. I know they, uh, once cannabis became legal in California, they had to do, you know, they had to have some type of- I'm just imagining, can we just take a moment to imagine someone saying it about booze? Like, I just really disagree with DUIs. <laughs> Not a problem. No, DUIs for cannabis specific only. Like, so good. I, let me tell you why, though, my point. I think it makes no sense, like, there's no way you could really test and be like, I smoked right before I did this. Like, how are you really gonna like put me in jail and take my license away? Cause I might've smoked this morning and then I drove in the evening. Like, but here's the thing. How about, what if you have like crippling anxiety driving and you have to smoke weed to calm the anxiety? So it's like, well, which one? You can't, I don't get it. I don't get it. When I got my medical prescription in Colorado, it was because I get sick in the car. So tell me, what am I supposed to, what, you told me, you gave <laughs> medicine, and now you're telling me not to take it? Like, I don't even get it. It just doesn't make sense to me for I it think- to be compared in the same way as alcohol, for which you can give a field test, for which you can do a test to see what their, you right. know, blood alcohol level was. You just cannot test. do the same thing. Yeah, you just cannot do that same thing. I mean, I guess the field test is it's like they test. can like, you know, they can smell if they if they smell it in your car or if you have a cotton mouth or no. like if your eyes are bloodshot. Like that's, that's those are the things that they're really looking at. That's just going to put people at risk for incarceration. That's exactly, exactly. what it's going to do. It's just going to cause more stereotyping, more stigma around cannabis. Like, do you know how many cars I drive by that smell like weed? You mean to tell me that every car that smells like weed, you're going to pull over and give those people a fucking DUI? So that so okay. if I was coming from the dispenser, I just happened to open it up, smell it, now I'm, I have a DUI. Like, what if they give you the field sobriety test because that determines if you're sober to drive? Like, I'd be 
be able to walk in a straight line. I'd be able to like touch my nose and do the ABCs. Yes, but they're saying the field tests are they're they're different for marijuana than they are for which I can actually do high. So bye. (laughs) Which that's why like I kind of disagree with it because I don't want to be known as having a DUI. It's like no, I was not drunk, bitch. Trust (laughs) me, I was not drunk. (laughs) Yeah, call it something else. I think no, don't even get in the business of trying to regulate people driving high. It's like. Well, they do. They need to take that away. Like they already do this here. You cannot. You can get a DUI for driving high. But how can they assess that? That's my question. How could that be assessed? I mean, I would have to look into it. But some of the things that I have heard, the field tests are like they literally like they look at the redness of your eye, your response, like how quick you're responding, your cotton mouth. It's all a yes, girl. Yes. Those are two like. They would touch my tongue with a sponge and see if it gets... Girl. Shouldn't the test be designed to determine if you can drive, not if you're drunk or high? It should be, can I drive? You know what I mean? So they should determine a standard test that's well, like... Well, it's able like, to are you under the influence? Don't worry about it. Can I drive? And um, along those lines, it's like, do you ask people about their prescription pills? Because I know a lot of people that I'm scared for them to drive because I'm zoned out on Zannies than I am for them having point. smoked a joint earlier in the day. That's a really great point. Did you find it, Moj? You go ahead. Yeah. It is called a saliva drug swab test. It is a real thing, and they do do this. Another w- other ways that they test it, um, they can definitely ask you for a blood, breath, or urine test. Um, they do some of the walk-in turn, one-leg stand tests, but those are more for alcohol. But they also do this test called horizontal gaze nystigmus test. I can't even, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing the word correctly. Is it it's basically tested, horizontal gaze? <laughs> it's basically when an officer is moving an object or their finger from side to side and they look at your, um, like, response, like, your eye's responsiveness to it. So they do use that, but the saliva drug swab test is specifically for THC, crystal meth, methadone, cocaine. Can you imagine? Let me imagine. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. just to go from THC to crystal meth. It's like, yikes. Cocaine, fine. I'm not going in with the meth. I'm not. <laughs> that's rude. I find it disrespectful. It's different. There's levels. There is levels. This is the thing. They need to move marijuana off that schedule one because this shit is crazy. How am I reading THC next to crystal meth? Like, it's just, that bitch? Listen, it's just it's like- bath salt and heroin and weed the the three worst you know what i mean we just we could only do the worst <laughs> like what but okay see the other thing the blood or the urine test it's like you're not gonna know when i did this this is stupid you're literally just trying to get me arrested and like, you're really trying it and hey what do you want with my bodily fluids you weirdo and also do you think how long does the swab go back because if i smoked like four hours ago what am i what am i locked for the day yeah I can't imagine the next time I'd be able to come through with a saliva sample. Kishan, nowhere near even the sleeve of tests. All the tests would be failed. They'd be done. Contaminated. Even like, let's just talk about the urine test. I went on a tolerance break a couple years ago, right? Not anytime recent. A couple years ago. And I was off of it for two months and my urine still came back positive. It's because it's part of your soul. Like, I would be fucked. I would be (laughs) fucked. Hopefully, if it does become federally legal, then there can become a federal situation for either not doing DUIs at all or figuring out some sort of, like, standard protocol. I mean, a ticket is okay. It just cannot be a DUI. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. I think, yeah, if you are driving and you do something illegal, you should get a ticket for it, period. For what you did. Yeah, yeah for, for what you did. did. For what <laughs> yeah, I just don't think that you need to bring cannabis into the mix and be like, oh, were you driving now under the influence of cannabis? This adds a whole different layer. Like, no, it doesn't. Okay, I have one more topic, pros, cons, and see how you guys feel. Do you guys think that there will be a bigger black market or a smaller black market with the federal legalization? That's a good question. That's a really good question. And honestly, I don't know if I like know enough to know. I will I'll give my little input on it. I feel like with anything when there is so much availability of a product just on the legal market, you're not going to go seeking it in the black market unless you're really trying to get a good, like, good deal. I say that in quotes, you know, like you're not trying to pay the taxes or you're not trying to, you know, pay the dispensary prices and you just want to get it like on the low, low. Because if you think about it, we used to all have plugs. And as soon as it was legal in our states, we never went back to our plugs. You know what I mean? And before that, I mean, even when it was medicinally legal, I was still going to, you know, a plug. But when it was recreationally legal, like, I didn't really, I didn't trust him like that. Like, I didn't know where he was getting his stuff from. I never questioned it. And now we're given a little bit more information, like on the plant and things like that. I feel like that makes us more comfortable with using it, that I think the black market might not get bigger. So I I would say it would get smaller just because it's so readily available. The only thing is that like, if people still feel comfortable, you know, paying a lower price to get a cheaper product, those people will like, still, you know. Or even like if they feel comfortable going to a dispensary, like part of that stigma question again, or even like, is it like people who still have flip phones and are just like, no, like I'm comfortable with that level. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think people are always gonna be like, no, I just text my, like, I don't even text him. He just comes every week and brings me my weed. Like, I don't even think about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if there's anyone like that. Yeah, I think that that's a good point, Ryan. There, there are, there are people like that. There are just those old school people who just, that's what they want to do. They just want to go to a plug or they want to be able to buy like an ounce of weed at one time, which you can't really do in Massachusetts, for example. So, you know, they, they have their plug or whatever. Yeah, you heard that right. You really cannot buy an ounce of weed at a time. What's the limit? I think it's like two eights or something. Each dispensary has different limits because also like, I don't know. It's a, it's a whole That's thing. Wild. We'll another. That's yeah, it's, it's definitely a conversation for another day. But, um, you know, I think that there's just always going to be people who have their plug. Like that's just some people. But when I say always, I mean for like another 10 years. Like I do think that if federal legalization um, opens up the market a little and just the states are able to make the process of licensing easier for entrepreneurs, I think a lot of people would ditch the black market. Like I know a lot of dudes out here who if if it was cheaper for them to go legit, they would go legit. Like people want to be legit out here. Nobody wants to be doing this like Isn't look it, over I your shoulder. I got all these pounds of weed. Couldn't that kind of be seen as like the dream too? You know what I mean? Like, oh, now we could actually get a job selling weed. Like, isn't that kind of like awesome? You know what I mean? Like, but, as long as they do it that, right, with but the it's guy. a little bit different though. It's a little bit different, Ryan, because I, I'm talking about people who have been running their own weed businesses for years. Yeah. They should be able to get into industry and still run their own weed business. Nobody who's been doing their thing, you know, making 
plenty of money selling weed off the street is going to go and take a job now working for someone else. No, yeah, not even a job. I, I mean, like, opportunity to open their own thing. Like, as long yeah, as... Yeah, they should have opportunity. And I think that's what needs to happen. And, and because right now, I mean, the reason why the black market persists the way it does is because it's so hard to get licensed, because it's so expensive to get licensed. If it was cheaper to get licensed, way more people... Like, for example... The black market on the East Coast is way bigger, way more pervasive than the black market on the West Coast right now. In fact, most of the black market on the East Coast, it's weed that's being sent over from the West Coast and it's being sold here because the fucking black market is so big here. And because weed on the black market is just so much cheaper than weed in the dispensaries out here. So I think that, you know, the black market is going to keep up for a little while. And until they really make legalization or uh, licensing an actual equal opportunity for people, especially people of color, then, you know, it's going to persist. I will also say it kind of all depends on how much they're going to like increase the tax because you already know federal government's going to take a chunk too. You know, the state already takes a chunk. So it just no, federal also government is saying they're going to take five to eight percent excise tax. So we know that. Okay. See, I didn't know that exact percentage. So it really depends on how much really all these taxes end up being, because I will say, even though I solely purchase from dispensaries now, that tax, it hurts. It's like, golly, like it's a lot. So adding an additional tax on top of that, it's only going to, you know, make the product more expensive. But you know, hopefully there are um, going to be some other reforms. And like you said, like lowering the li- like the cost it gets to get licensed. So maybe, you know, the price of actual the product will go down. So with the tax and stuff, it will still even out. So it just kind of depends how all that will play out, too. Right. Right. And it's overregulated. I I do believe that the Massachusetts yeah. industry is overregulated. Well, and I believe compare it to Colorado or California and just see that the literal steps, the process to opening a business is so much harder. It's so, like and you were saying earlier that money's a hindrance, but actually process is a big hindrance too. A lot of people don't want to go through the process that you're going through of talking to five different community liaisons about every single decision you make. You know what I mean? Like that's a lot to take yeah. on. And if you had, yeah. you know, had your particular skill set and background, you might not do it either. You know what I mean? Like, it's a lot and it shouldn't be that way. It should be like starting any right. other business. And that's what right. hopefully some federal legalization could bring right. up towards. But that's right. also a lot of responsibility on the government to do the right thing. That's why we, it's like important that we have the people in now because it's on them to set up a structure where it's fair for everyone. Everyone has an opportunity to get involved and it's regulated to the point where like it's, it's a market like anything else. Like it doesn't need to be as regulated as it is now because it's not a fucking control one substance. Like it's just so crazy. You know what I mean? So hopefully that takes a lot of that regulation aspect out in general. And then maybe all the numbers can come down because you have less shit to do, you know? Yeah. You know, another thing to kind of keep in mind is that like, even though like, you know, we're talking about federal legalization, but one thing that I had read about is that United States actually has signed three international treaties, treaties that limit the use of marijuana in the country. So there are treaties that are signed with the UN that basically says that um, the United States and all these other countries, like they're not gonna like, legalize weed or excessively um, sell weed. Um, I actually came across that when I was just kind of like doing a little research and um, and they were saying that even though some states have legalized it now, like that the UN, like, you know, like the monitors, like that they're actually upset by states 
um, legalizing this. So I think the reform is not only it doesn't only need to happen here. They also it also needs to happen on like an international scale too, because you know all of these like marijuana wasn't like only grown here. Marijuana was flown here. You know what I mean? Like they're definitely like we need to give these countries. For example, Afghanistan grows a lot of fucking Kush. There's a whole you know like they need to get a fair share of like if they're going to do like import export, you know what I mean? Like they need to be like compensated correctly for that and legally for it. So I think even kind of thinking beyond like the quality when we're actually getting Afghan Kush, like when we're actually getting like weed from the Kush mountains and we're actually getting these strains from these places, like where weed originated because weed is from Southeast Asia. That's where it's originally from. And so absolutely like we should be able to, and they should be able to enter that market as well. I agree. I didn't know about the UN um, treaties that we've signed. I would be really curious as to understand like a, which administration signed those, what was the motives behind it? Like, I know that it's like a big joke of like America losing the war on drugs, but I mean, it just goes to show like our priorities around quote unquote drugs. And I have to say quote unquote, because this country has just done the most with like the way it's classified substances, but the things that we've done around drugs have been so uh, poorly motivated for so long. And so things like this coming out, it's just like even Jamaica, like we, like Jamaica should be uh, having a much bigger uh, seat at the cannabis conversation table. Like, I don't even understand. And it's crazy. I talk about this with my family all the time. The only people making money off weed in Jamaica right now are white people. And that shit hurts me to my core. I just saw there were like four articles about there being a weed, a giant weeds uh, shortage in Jamaica because of COVID-19 and like farmers just like aren't doing it. And like some sort of like a drought or something like just a combination of a bunch of stuff. It's like Jamaica's so hard up. Yeah, so these conversations kind of go beyond the state legalization, beyond the federal legalization and kind of like moving it to like the international platform and really giving what these countries are owed for what they have developed, what they continue to do, because it's just, you know, it's only fair. It's only fair that we recognize what, you know, what is happening. But I was looking a little bit into that UN thing and looks like the treaty that they're signing. Um, basically, they said that the United States, they agreed to exclusively use marijuana for medical and scientific purposes. So, but also, let me say this, UN for the entirety of its existence has been a barking dog with no teeth. So they do a lot of goddamn barking, a lot of it, but they really don't have any like big power to do anything. You know, what's going to happen is they will be upset. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But what are the motives behind that? And like, what's the conversation that's being had about cannabis medicine on the international stage? Because I think it's, it's such a miss that, they would say something. I mean, I appreciate that they said for medicine and science, but to just say only when like, yeah, there's a huge recreational market around cannabis. And I think it's just like, it's, it's strange, but you have to really try to understand who is putting those, um, you know, rules and regulations forward and what the motives behind it are. And also I will say that like the conversation about cannabis internationally is different. And I think that is something that should be brought into consideration. Like some of the hardest conversations I've had about cannabis have been with people internationally, like really being against. Yeah. I mean, even, um, back, you know, like in my homeland, like 
it's not positively looked upon if you like, if you smoke it, you use it, you know what I mean? Like it's not a, um, it's definitely not as acceptable as it is here, but you know, that all has to do with how the country has operated and how they've seen this. I bet in today's, you know, in like in today's time that if they saw a economical opportunity that they wouldn't jump on it because regardless of what the policies and laws are in those countries, people are still growing it. People are still exporting it. People are still getting it all the way across to the other side of the world. You know what I mean? And even if they don't like necessarily like it's not marijuana, like it's other drugs. You know what I mean? There's plenty of other drugs that come from other countries. Like, I was gonna say, like isn't Afghanistan like the biggest exporter of opium in the world? Also, also yes. <laughs> Aren't you proud of that? I got people know how to have a good time. I'm trying to get over there. Let me not be ignorant right now. <laughs> I feel like if I were to go over there, I'd be a target. <laughs> I do think the thing with like the international aspect of it too is that kind of like it goes along with just the increased kind of like human connection and understanding that we're experiencing right now too. Like I think like as we get more connected, like in general, we'll we'll like be willing to share benefits and experiences. And I think we can all like see a lot more like plain truths. Like this isn't the evil thing that it's been made out to be. You know what I mean? I think it's kind of like part of that, like leveling up that we're doing as humanity right now. And I will also say some of the things that affected on that international level and like, you know, talking to people from other countries and how they look really down upon it. It's because like most of the time those are like poor countries too. So no one really has the pleasure or like, you know, to be able to just sit there and like smoke weed all day or spend the money to smoke weed. So like the idea that gets passed down from parents to children is like, don't do that because one can't afford it too. It's like, this is because this is not a cheap habit. I was going to say, it's also like that, that thing of like, don't ever stop like working, like everything's so focused on you working and making money and being successful. So please don't, don't do something that's going to let you relax and take time for yourself and just like reflect, you know what I mean? It's always, especially I feel like internationally, it's more like we're pretty lazy in America and like international, they're really focused on getting their kids like ready for work. You know, we don't. And to be fair. Yeah. To be fair, it's also the same viewpoint on alcohol. Like in Afghanistan, alcohol is not like a, it's kind of like looked at the same way. You don't get drunk in public. You don't drink. You don't like, you know, it's the same thing. So it's not just like this one thing, uh, this one, you know, product. It's the mindset of that country and the people of that country, their, their history with war, you know, their history with poverty and, you know, colonialism. Um. (laughs) And like culture in general, I feel like the culture there is definitely more reserved, definitely more like in public, we're polite and quiet. You know what I mean? Like, and just like, like classier. There's no part of that in American culture to be like, you know what I mean? There's nothing (laughs) where people are scared of their kids running around in restaurants or someone screaming or taking a speakerphone call. Like, that's not part of our culture at all, but which is sucks, by the way. But I do think a big part of like international culture in general is just being like more polite. I, I definitely agree with that, especially in like, you know, the um, Southeast Asian and Asian countries, like that kind of respect and manners, like they're very important. And it's not really that important here. You know what I mean? Here, really? it's just like here. I think the positive thing of it is that you are you become more opinionated. You can actually speak your mind. And, you know, that's the freedom that you do get here. But, yeah, I think the culture is different. That's why cannabis is accepted differently there versus here. It's popping everywhere, though. <laughs> popping everywhere. And it'll be so interesting, like, 
I can't wait to listen back on these in like 20 years because things are going to be so... I think about that all the time. Yeah. I think about that all the time. Like in 20 years, we're going to be like, or like even more than that, you know, and even in 40 years and 50 years, like it's going to be really crazy to be sitting and chatting with like our grandkids about like the shit that we had to deal with just to like smoke some fucking weed. You know what I mean? <laughs> to, like open up our little store. Like, cause I know that this level of challenge, this level of difficulty getting into the industry, it's not going to persist forever. Eventually it is going to bust and everyone's going to be able to get in and we're all going to be able to like do it. But it's going to be crazy to know that like we had to really go through so much just to get you know, a little thing open and just to sell some fucking cookies. That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please be sure to check back regularly for new episodes. Check out our website, www.iandirosegarden.com for updates and any events happening here at the garden. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at iandirosegarden. That's at symbol I-A-N-D-I-R-O-S-E-G-A-R-D-E-N. Talk to you guys soon.